Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. And please excuse my tardiness, and it's interesting because, especially as today's topic, because I did not want to do my show today without my coffee and without my breakfast, or should I say lunch, because I had a busy morning this morning. Now, we already have callers already logged in on the show because this is going to be a very interesting topic today, as we're going to be talking about today critical race theory in regards to what does it mean, what is the definition of it, why is it being banned, and is it something that's political, or is it something that we really need to have knowledge about when we start talking about critical race theory, and what are you teaching your children? So because I'm behind, let me log on the callers. Give me one second. Hi, this is Jeanette Abbott. Welcome to Precious Predicaments, Love Talk Radio. How are you doing? Uh, this is, is Mr. Kahalifa? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Mr. Kahalifa, for being obedient and calling in on the show. I really appreciate you. Now, tell the listeners who you are. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, I my name is Kahalifa King. Uh, I am a uh, professor at one of the local colleges here uh, in my city, and uh, I am an an associate MFT, uh, associate mental health therapist, I should say it that way. Uh, I provide uh, some uh, mediation and arbitration services to the United States Postal Service and some other clients as well. So uh, that's my professional piece. But as a as a uh, older gentleman, I'm just a an advocate, if you will, uh, regarding um, equity, um, truth, you know, and liberation, especially around black folks. So that's kind of who I am as a from a person. So I'm speaking from a personal standpoint today. Thank you. You know what, and I appreciate you being obedient. I really do. Because when I was thinking about this topic today, and I was like, you know what, let me call Mr. Kahalifa, because I know he's going to tell the truth. He's going to bring us into the awareness. And you kept saying, Jeanette, you're funny. Jeanette, you're funny. I was so not trying to be funny. I was really telling the truth. I was like, oh, my God. This is something that we really need to have a conversation about. Let me log on the next caller, and then we're going to get into this topic. Good afternoon. This is Jeanette Abney. Welcome to Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio, number ending in 05. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Well, thank you, too, for calling in. Now, do you want to say who you are, what you think about this topic? Because we're going to dive right into this. And I'm glad that I have two educators on the air right now, because this is something, and this is, I'm going to tell you how this came to my attention in regards to this topic. But what are your thoughts in regards to this topic? And if you want to share who you are, that's fine. If not, that's fine. If you want to give another name, that's fine, too. I am a an educator and uh, for public schools, and I've done that for a, approximately 40 years. And I am concerned because I think there's so much misunderstanding in terms of what critical race theory is, and I think that uh, it needs to be clarified better. And I think that it's a positive, even though the school system in itself, we have so many parents who are objecting because they think that it's going to cause them inconvenience or their children inconvenience. But I basically see it as a way to correct some of the uh, corruption and policies that we have. Uh, public policies are shaped based on racism, that we need to look at those things and look at uh, look at the American structure and fix those things that were built based on racist principles. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's a good move to take, but I think that mm-hmm. it's being, the meaning is being distorted. I think the purpose is being distorted, and I think that people have closed their ears because of the political climate now. Uh-huh. And you know what, and that is, that is true. And when it came to my attention, I was just laying in a bed, watching TV, and I heard of a principal who was actually, the school board members was trying to fire him. And he was an African-American man married to a Caucasian woman with biracial children. The children at the school loved him, great principal, great educator, all of that. And they were upset. 
upset with him for bringing critical race theory to the school, teaching children about race theory. Now, like you said, I think it's something positive because if you don't teach, education starts at home. Racism is a learned behavior, and this is just Jeanette speaking. And I can only say what I was exposed to. But I had never heard of the terminology critical race theory. But even though, and knowing that I, with my grandkids, I, it's sad because a lot of individuals don't really know about other people's cultures, other people's beliefs. And to me, it's about respect. If you have an idea, at least you know. Don't put people in a box or the information that we are or have been given. And I was sharing with Kahana, I remember dating a guy and going to South Carolina, and I knew nothing about the Civil War. I knew nothing about black kids. I didn't know nothing. And, and mm-hmm. it, it's sad because when we start talking about our race and our culture, many of us don't even know about our own race and our culture. Kahala, so what are your thoughts in regards to that? Because I like what she said about how it being positive. What are your thoughts? Are uh, you speaking to me? Yes, I am. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I think the one thing that helps us is we get a, a foundational aspect. Since we're talking about the word race and critical race theory, uh, it's good to just at least give a little bit of a historical background about this whole, mm-hmm. this whole self, self-made construct construct of race. And first of all, it is a false narrative of the construct of race in the first place. So if you don't mind, just a few moments, uh, uh, I would just like to identify that that the whole foundation of this whole thing about race and, you know, know, turning into this whole process of racism, uh, there were some, uh, you know, the the, the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, there were some some, some men, uh, white males, uh, one out of France, uh, 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 George Lewis, uh, who's out of France, and uh, Carlos Lianas uh, out of Sweden, uh, and then uh, John Blumbach out of Germany. So if you listen to this, France, Ger- uh, Sweden, and Germany, these were the gentlemen who actually were they were scientists who created this whole classification process that turned into what we break down as race in, in terms of how and how we treat each other. So if we go back and understand how this whole uh, um, false narrative of, of, of race, of the racial construct, you know, um, began, I think that, that would be helpful for people just to, just to clearly understand. I think the other thing interesting about this, a couple of these guys are botanists and naturalists where they really did a lot of their studies with plants and animals and then transferred that, that information into uh, races and identified that uh, uh, these other so-called races uh, were less than the Caucasian race was themselves. And, then, and, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it took off even more with um, – uh, the uh, the Catholic Church uh, promoted this same process even more so. So, so we have it not only from the scientific, you know, uh, false narrative as well as a uh, an excuse me, I say a religious false narrative that and identified white people as being superior to all other races, and then they named these other races as well: Africoid, Mongoloid, Caucasoid, and so those were the initial, you know, processes. And I just think it's important for us to at least establish that as a, as one of the the, the the processes, and that was, and then it was just um, really promoted, you know, um, as the centuries and times, you know, went on, uh, as we, you know, which led into this whole thing around uh, critical race theory. The additional thing I'll say, and I'll be quiet, is that um, uh, there's another gentleman uh, by the name of um, uh, Neely Fuller, Neely Fuller, who's an, as a, as a, was a black sociologist, is a black sociologist, and he identified that we have classifications of people in terms of, and he didn't identify it as race. He identified that there are just basic three types of people in the, and listen to this language, known universe. He identifies that it's, just, it's white people, non-white people, and white supremacists. He says those are the three, you know, basic types of people in the known uh-huh. universe. And that, he identified there were basically nine major areas of people activity in the same known universe. And I won't get into that unless you ask me to get into the details of it. But I think that's the thing for us to take a look at because we do not value the information that we get from 
from blacks, uh, uh, you know, as well. And so Neely Fuller is a, is a black man on the East Coast. Uh, um, and I just want to kind of highlight that as a, as a, as, as a baseline and that critical race theory in, in and of itself was established in the 70s or 80s in the first place in the mm-hmm. law school. And I like what the lady was saying earlier that, you know, it's morphed into this other thing given false information. And, 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 and to me, it just jumps to the, the process of fear. White folks have a lot of fear in this process because some of our people say they are afraid that the, that the pecking order will change and that retribution would be back on them in the way that they oppressed other people. Now I'll be quiet. <laughs> well, you know what? Don't be quiet because, like I said, we won't be silent no more. And it is fear-based. And even when I was watching the parents at the school board meetings, and I'm not saying that they were uneducated because they could have been, but you could hear their fear. You can hear how how aggressive they were becoming. And I was like, really? Really? This is, and then to know that because of their anger that it's being banned because they don't want people to know. And then my question became, why? It's like my grandson coming to me knowing he's adopted, folding his arms and two talking about who's my daddy. What was I supposed to do, lie? I said, do you want to know? He said, yes, I called him. You know, so we got to get to the point to where we're not going to be silent. We don't, we should not be lying to individuals. And it's how you share information, how you put it out there. And you said something real interesting in regards to how we treat each other. And that has a lot to do with how we value each other and how we value other races and other cultures. And I like how you put it, white, non-white, white supremacist, because that just takes it to a whole other level. Now, when I was putting the information together and I said, what do you know about critical race theory? Because I do absolutely nothing about the theory. And that is a question that we must really ask ourselves. And this topic, it was brought to my attention, like I said, from watching a television show. But this is a topic that's very interesting because it's very taboo. And even when we start talking about sharing information, and we're not here to be racist. We're not here to be bigot. We're not here to be biased. We're here to bring a sense of awareness. Because if it comes down to a vote, if it comes down to whether we want our kids to know, we need to start teaching and educating our children too so we're not repeating the cycle. Now, that may not change things, but it goes back to just yesterday, Kahala, so my friend and I was at the grocery store, and I didn't see it happen, but I was going to, I was on another aisle, and he was, we had a good day and went shopping at Costco, went somewhere else, went and got a massage, and I mean, went and got a manicure, pedicure, we go to Stater Brothers. A man was turning down the aisle and almost ran over his foot. So my friend said, basically, you just say, excuse me, or, you know, like that was disrespectful. The man kind of like shunned him, and he got pissed off. Like, you're not going to just be treating me any kind of way up in this store. I don't know what you know about black folks, but this one right here. And my friend don't look threatening. He don't look, you know, he don't look like a thug. You know, he's older. He, well, he was not going to let that man just think he could just run over his foot with that basket and not say, excuse me, or I'm sorry, I apologize. So what my friend did, and I'm not saying it was right or wrong, he walked up and the man had his, it was in the line at the grocery store. My friend moved his basket and said, go get it. I'm <laughs> glad I didn't see that. <laughs> he made that man go get his open. And I said, <laughs> The thing here is that, and I understand everybody has these individual responses, and what we have to do is kind of bring things down and get a better, uh, uh, you, know, you know, holistic approach to this subject matter um, and, and not be reactive. Because the problem with us as well, well since you're talking yeah. about us, is that we, we have to not be as reactive as we've been trained to be. You know, right. and, and so a lot of things we have to recognize how we have been trained through this whole conscious false narrative and construct. Now, in America, since we have been enslaved, you know, and we've had generations of continual trauma, uh, and, and so so we know what that, what that does to to the body. So when we look at this critical race theory, you know, this whole this whole critical race theory ide- ideology, ideology is really just being 
this is, is being is, is being weaponized politically in order to manage and maintain. So if you really understand what critical race theory really is, it was really with law students studying how race and racism, you know, uh, impacts all systems of America. And so, and, and, then, and, then, and then the history from the construct I mentioned earlier, it was tied into to capitalism. So racism and capitalism are tied together. They're, you know, the twins. And so if we're going to recognize this, I, I'm, you know, I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that any, anybody listening, you know, just dials it back a little bit and recognize, and, you know, as far as this is just me personally, I'll say, as far as I'm concerned, there is no such thing as this critical race theory being taught in any public school. The first thing, the bottom line is it's not being taught anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. other than, you know, Washington. So, so but people want to want to put in, you know, the 16, you know, the 1619 project and the 19, they want to throw all of those things in and then, and then show that, that they want to rewrite history so that white kids don't feel supposedly that they don't feel bad and attacked. <laughs> that's, that's, what that's, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. The feeling. We don't want nobody feeling bad. We don't want. And you know, I was talking to a friend of mine today, or a guy today, and he's an attorney, and he brought that to my attention. He was telling me about a guy because by him having his law degree, he was telling me about a guy named Derek Bell, who was one of the first black law professors at um, Howard or Hayward. One of the, staff there that kind of brought this because, see, critical thinking actually, in my opinion, I learned how to critically think when I was in college because that was when I learned a lot of the stuff that my mother was telling me, she really didn't know no better. They learned to survive. They learned a lot of different things, but I learned critical thinking more in um, college. Now, we got another caller logging on. Let me see what this caller want to add to the show. Good afternoon. My name is Gina Abney, number ending in six seven. What would you like to add as it relates to this topic? Is is that me, Jeanette? I didn't hear the beat. That's you, cousin. I know your voice. How you doing? Great. How you doing? I'm doing well. Now, what do you want to add to this topic? Now, I know you you calling in is, is interesting, especially with your experience. And I want to say this. What also gave me confirmation in regards to whether it's time to even talk about this topic is because first we're talking about what it being banned. I want to know why. Secondly, I've been binge-watching Netflix, and I was watching the two movies that I, well, one that I told you, cousin, to watch about the young man, the, the guy that I grew up with, his son, wrote that skit, and that's uh, the thing on Netflix, and even though he, when he wrote it, and it was really interesting because it brought a sense of awareness, and it was called Two Different Strangers, and that's definitely a must-watch because here this man we're trying to, to, to even educate that white cop, but just the whole premise of people's perception of individuals. And then the second one was when I was watching, um, oh, and I don't want to mess up a thing, Kaepernick, uh, Black and White, what he went through. I didn't know he was adopted. And just the mere fact when he did do what he did in regards to the national anthem, and he been through some things. He knew that this was not the land of the free. He he experienced, and I thought about me coaching. I thought about kids that are in sports and athletes. So, cousin, you go right on in there. What you want to add to the topic? Okay, so I'll I'll add. I'll tell you how close I am to this topic. There was a there was a football game where Cap with Kaepernick was playing against the mm-hmm. team, and it said Manteca on the lo- on the shirt. Well, that's where I, I spent the first nine years of my life was in Manteca. So that's how close I am to this particular topic. And that mm-hmm. was 20 years before Kaepernick went there. So I grew up in, in the most racist parts, maybe in the United States, with the exception of the South, in the 70s, in the um, mid-70s when I was a, a child. So, this, so that, that show actually triggered me. Yeah, know? but if you if you if you take that, make it twenty years before that, so you could imagine the kind of stuff that I had to deal with in nineteen seventy five, seventy four, seventy eight as a child, the kind of racism that I had to endure. So when I was watching the show, I was like, Yeah, they watered this down. Because you know, I could be sitting I could be sitting anywhere. You know, I'm just gonna use 
I'm going to use the language that was directed towards me. So I don't know if you want to beat the stuff oh, out or, or what you want to do. Because you know what it's about treating individuals because they shouldn't be treating kids like that. And that's what got me with right. that movie. I'm like, wow. Right. So now you guys, like, you guys were living in L.A., so it was a different kind of uh, hostility, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still hostility. It was still dangerous. But um, I'm just going to keep it real. I could be sitting anywhere, you know, like eating an ice cream or something, chilling, and, and like, some adults would go by and, and say shit like, um, look at that nigger eating ice cream. Like, I just dealt with that kind of stuff all the time. I dealt with with racist coaches calling me the N-word. I dealt with racist uh, classmates. I had to fight all the time. And, and my parents weren't really uh, sensitive to that with us because they figured we were living in a pretty nice neighborhood. So their solution was, as they, you know, they're from the Jim Crow South, so, like, what are you crying about? You know, it's not it's not that bad. So, like, nobody could really empathize with, with what I was going through because every day was hostility, you know. And, I, and I'm really, like, looking back on it, I'm surprised one of us didn't get killed. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, it was that yeah. kind of intensity all the time when you're the first black people in to do anything. So, you know, I know how the Little Rock uh, 13, see, I know how, like, I I get all that because I went through all that. And I'm only 52, right? So we're talking about in the 70s, by the time um, the 80s rolled around, my parents got divorced. We moved to Sac, so a lot of that stuff went out the window because I was around more black people. Um, but the, my, like my formative years, Jeanette, were brutal, and I couldn't really get people to understand that, you know. And even 40 years later, now just watching it, I was like, "Yeah, man, I I dig it." You know, the only difference was, like, my house was black, black. You know, my parents are black, black from Compton uh-huh. and from the Deep South. So I always had that. Like, poor Kaepernick, I don't know what he did because his parents were were extra white with a side of white. So he didn't even really have, like, any relatives to, like, yeah. kick it with or whatever. But, it was, yeah. but for him, I'm sure it was brutal as it was for me, but it was even more brutal for me in a sense because it was 20 years prior. So right. there was... Like it was just. So let's talk about. I hear you talking, Talifa. What do you want to add to that? Yeah, because when you have a child, yeah, let's say you're a teacher and you're trying to teach a child, what do you want to do? Okay, but see, what the, okay, what we have to understand is that we have a generational process. I don't want us to. I understand everybody has personal experiences, and I'm I'm much older. I'm in my seventies. And so I went to segregated schools. I had a cousin who was lynched when I was nine years old, and I was there when he was lynched, and he was only 13, 14 years old. So everybody has these, see, the reality is that most of us have these stories that are black. The reality is what, but the, but the real reality is that we have not learned how to, to engage with it in a different way rather than mm-hmm. from an emotional standpoint, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm not minimizing any of us. I'm just saying that because I went through it as well. But if I went to segregated schools before I came to California, clearly you understand, I, I, I know um, uh, what, what, what that whole segregational life really is um, and such. So, <clears throat> but the reality is that, yes, uh, you know, we got to understand where each generation before us was, why our parents may not have, had the same mindset that we did because of the generational changes that took place. And so they did the best that they could and knew under the circumstances. And and prior to them was their parents, which is our grandparents. You know, and so you stop and think about, and they were just only one generation removed from slavery. And so, and so I'm saying that we really, we got to dial it back and recognize, first of all, we have been, we are and have been in, a in a racist in a racist country since our our you know, since our enslavement and the, as as they say 1619 I'm suggesting that it was even before then we all if we recognize the depth of what this is then we can dial back and 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 look at the way we that we strategize 
dealing right. with racism. I accept the fact that, that racism is, is here and it's, and it's not going to go away in my time. I, don't, I doubt that very seriously. But what is the critical is how we allow um, these, these particular uh, subject matters to control and influence us in ways that are not beneficial to us. That's what my challenge is, you know, because racism in and of itself is not new to any of us. Okay, the reality is how do we deal with it? Protesting only goes so far, you know, so, you know, so, so what we have to do is, 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 is develop a different strategy. And as right. the other young lady was as educators, you know, what can we do? Now, I me, mean, I'm at the college level. And so I'm teaching, you know, so I, I, bring, I will bring up race and culture and anything else that I can that's appropriate within my, within the, you know, within my classroom structure. And this is the one that we deal with and talk about as well in terms of critical race theory. And, if we, and so, again, breaking it down, since the subject matter is critical race theory, let's look at least if we break those things down, critical, you know, critical has a certain application to it. Race has a certain application to it. Theory has a certain, you know, application to it. So if we break it down and then look at, how it is being used and weaponized in this day and time right now, because critical race theory is not new, just like <laughs> racism is not new. What's, you know, what's, what's going to be new, if you will, I'm going to use that term loosely, is how we perceive it, how they're trying to use it, and how we guard against it. And, right. and, 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 and you know, instead of chasing the process, We've been trained to believe that we need to be accepted by our captors, you know. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I'm willing to I'm willing to do all kinds of things just to be accepted, you know. So 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 I want us to kind of you know if we just kind of widen the screen a little bit and recognize you know not now that we know. What are we willing to do differently? What resources do we have? You know, so what do we need? What resources do we have? What is our goal? What is our, our objective in dealing with this thing called racism, which is being fueled by capitalism? And so, yep. so that's at the So you can't separate racism or critical race theory without looking at the economic, you know, you know, implications. For America at large, so 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 to me, I, I'm just thinking that yeah, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there as a as a point of consideration. And, you know and that's a good way of breaking it down, because Oliver. And a lot of times, like you said, our parents just settle because they don't know any better. I remember well, my mother. We conversation. My mother used to tell me, "Get an education, get an education, get an education." I became an educated threat. I became one. I had to learn how to fight differently because her style of fighting, and then when I was up against a lot of um, bigots and um, racists, I had to learn how to fight differently, and I threw them off because what they expected of me, I didn't come at them that way. I came at them right. a whole different way. I came at them in their pocket. Right, but we, we, I came we, at them with their own They didn't know their own laws. They didn't, and so didn't they get you guys are talking well, at the same yeah, time. We, I can't hear. Um, yeah. Let me throw in something here, too, as an educator. Um, we have the tools. We have to use the tools. I feel that parents are negligent when they don't realize. I have a student handbook. I have EEOC policies. I have uh, FEHA. I have all of these different contracts that they've constructed that if I look at them with an open mind, I can figure out how to get them. I, I hold them accountable. And that's what we have to learn to do. One of the big problems I have with my people is that we can jump. Back when I was a kid, I learned such thing as ambulance chasers. We are ambulance chasers for certain categories. We're ambulance chasers when, when a black person has been killed by the police. We're ambulance mm-hmm. chasers when certain things happen like that, but we're not looking at employment. We're not looking at student progress. We need to look at all of these areas. We need to have national experts in each of those areas so that when a parent or someone notices that there is 
blatant discrimination, that we have that person who will represent us as a class and take care of it. We need to centralize all of our attorneys who are able to handle these different aspects to deal with these different contracts we have in our lives and in the American democratic system. We need to use the tools. That's true. And bring it down because you know what? And it's interesting you said that. I remember when I had to go meet with the EEO, EEOC for Orange County, I started doing my research. I started reading. Mm-hmm. When people interviewed me, they never called me back. They left me the heck alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said, county council said, Miss Abney has a government. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. they intimidate me. I love law. So, therefore, I wasn't afraid. I just had to learn how to fight differently. And because they didn't know my culture, they underestimated me is what they did. Yeah, those things are yeah. good individually. And I think the problem is that see, we bought into we. Uh, I just the statement I make is that black folks are emulating white folks while they're imitating us. So the individual process is good for people. That's great. We can talk. And that's why I keep saying we can talk individually all the time. But the problem is that is that is not as more than individual. It is a nationwide process, yes. as the young lady has said earlier. So this is so the so the question on here, since people are calling in or probably listening around critical race theory, you know, my thing is is, is is the impact of what's taking place, you know, from a political, you know, educational, so on and so forth. Because every system that we have, you know, in America is, you know, is going to affect. So whether you are, I'm going to use the term, you know, as they used to say back in the day, uh, you know, a, 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 an overseer for the master or you somebody else or you're, or you're a liberator. You know, the reality is that what's going on with us affects all black people, not yeah. just our individual impact. That's what I'm trying to get us to, to really look at the, 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 the impact on us, and, you know, overall, even though we can't solve that in this conversation, but what can we provide as, as consideration for those who may be listening and having some level of hope because just as much as white folks are being you're being impacted mentally and emotionally, so are black folks because we see what's happening with voter suppression and voter suppression so on and so forth. I'm so I'm looking at the mental at the mental and emotional well being as how we can do things in a whole different way. And like the lady said, she's an educator. And she has to educate unfortunately she says she has to educate parents to be able to help support and educate her her, you know, her, you know, her students. And so, so we have a lot that we have to look at from a more unified process as we look to these particular, to these particular things. I just want to throw that in there because I don't want to get caught up no, on what happened to us individually. The embarrassment. They don't, because my, my question was, why do you want to ban this? What are you trying to hide? What do you not want people to know? And you know, some parents don't even know the difference between an IEP and a 504 plan. They don't know. They don't know how to, if you talk about the, the Brown versus Board of Education, they don't even know. They, it's like they're in a bubble. And sometimes you wonder, do they want to know? Are they afraid? Are they, and, and that's the part that gets me. It's okay not to know. I had never heard of critical race theory, and I've been lying about it. I did not know anything about this. I had not heard of the concept. But once I did, I wanted to talk about it to inform other individuals of what this is about because the way this world is going, they were trying to deny global warming. But look, they talking about this, the, the man on the all the stuff disappearing. Yes. Okay, sir. Can I may speak? Okay, I, I understand the macro approach of um, trying to deconstruct this um, this uh, racist society, but we also have to understand uh, individually, right, from the home, because we have an educator on the phone, that we understand that that starts at home. Right. It does. We, we understand that starting with an with an empathetic ear that you are actually going through something, right, and not minimizing that, which was, um, you know, it's, I'm not I'm not trying to throw my parents under the bus. I know they did absolutely the best job they could do. But what I'm saying is that um, minimizing people's pain and minimizing the situation that young people go through on an individual basis. If there's not an empathetic ear and there's not support in the home system, it doesn't really matter what we do on the macro level. 
And when the instructor, when uh, the teacher was talking about, I have to educate the parents, well, you learn everything, for the most part, from your parents, from your role models. So we have to attack it on a, mac, on a micro level um, in the beginning to understand that there are issues at home and there are issues um, that, that need to be taken care of on a micro level, right? We have to, we have to attack it from both, from both levels, clearly. But we understand right. that we learn everything from our parents and we get our support and empathy and how we see the world. We get that through our parents. So we also, we cannot ignore the micro level of, of doing things. And that's that's all I got. Also what Kahala was saying is the resources. And then when the resources start to develop and then people start getting this mm-hmm. idea of, well, what are they doing? What are they teaching? What are they, they're a threat to us. They're a communist. They're this, they're that. And then they start lying on you. I remember it being being unpoliticized and people trying to shut me down because I was trying to help get people off of drugs. I was trying to strengthen families. And my, my mother told me, she said, baby, you're going against the system. The system is designed to keep these individuals that way. And you're trying your best to help them. So sometimes when you're trying to help and you're trying to educate and you're trying to support them, some of resources. So, Kahala, but what can we do to help individuals and the resources we start talking about it so it doesn't seem like we're let me answer your question you're asking me. Uh, I know that what I do on a regular basis, and Sarah's talking about the young man was talking about micro and, and macro level, you have to do both. But the bottom line is that I meet with brothers every month, and we all we do is talk about issues of black men to survive in America. What does it mean to us holistically, meaning spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally? And so we have these, we've committed to these regular conversations to support one another and educate each other in that process because, you know, you know, we all, you know, I heard the conversation, I heard it mentioned that, you know, education begins at home, but if, but if the home is uneducated and does not know, then home can only teach you, teach you what you, what you know, so you're still limited. So you can't, you know, so part of that you can't hold part of the family accountable for that process because the person can be can be raised as a you know as, as a sexist as an example and then learn that he has to he or she has to do something different that doesn't work. So 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 part of that comes from family, some of it doesn't. And my final piece of this speech to this is that you know when we were had a movement, there was a movement. I, I was a I was a young man uh, uh, going through the movement during the sixties. You know, and, and, and that was a very, that was identified as the Black Power Movement. And I know all of us with, with Black Panthers, us organization, Blackstone Rangers, all of us in terms of deliberating, you know, this and stuff. But what happened is politically in the, in the mid-60s when Johnson identified this, this war on poverty and uh, we wound up having the CETA program, the, you know, we, we had all these other things. And then the, the black community wound up being in the, in the middle class, upper and lower middle class, you know, uh, society that made us think that we have arrived not right. knowing that it, you know, that we were really being duped, just like black women were, were, you know, might have been duped with the women's movement, as they talked about. So I'm saying when we, if they throw these things out and we don't have that level of consciousness that, that, that continues to move forward and we stop thinking that we have arrived and been accepted and then we don't tell them, yes, there was a period, I agree, with our parents, some parents at that time did not continue to educate their children around the, the legacy and history, you know, of black people in this country. And so, so, so we have these gaps that, that, that happen. So you can only do so much on the individual level, and then there's other things you have to do in a unified level. And so the problem for us is that, we, you know, those kinds of, of wedges, you know, created this, this divisiveness within our overall black culture. I'm not, and we're not monolithic by all means, but I'm just saying if we understand what some of these things are, not only individually within our families, but also as it relates system-wide in certain processes, you know, because you know, and, cause it shows up where we are now because we're more, divide, we're more uh, divided right now as a group of people called black folks than we, than, than we have been. And, it's getting, and it seems to be manifesting even more. So I just want to kind of, you know, respond. That's, that's my answer to, to your question wanna, about we I have to say, step up and do Right. And I want to say this, Kahala, because when I thought of critical race theory and being of African-American descent, I didn't even think of it as just being just all African-American descent. I viewed it as 
learning about all races. Whether I'm learning about the Filipino culture, the Hispanic culture, the Brazilian culture, I'm learning because when we open up our mind and we have a sense of idea of where individuals are coming from, to me it's, it's a more about respect. I can respect you because I have an understanding. I don't have to fear you. I don't have to think that all this, all that, or because you're coming. I remember having an a, a MMA person I was working with. He was a, a boxer from Brazil. I didn't even know he was Brazilian. I thought he was African-American. Until he told me, and he told me, and I, and I was able to be open-minded and learn about him and respect where he was coming from because I heard him out. Sometimes we don't want to listen to people because we're afraid, oh, Lord, here comes the neighborhood, here comes so-and-so moving in down the street. You know, and I've experienced that, too. And it just it saddens me, but, yeah, we know that these things may not just go away overnight, but to ban it, that you don't even want to know, you're going to make people lose their job because they're talking about these topics, that's a problem, especially in this time, the, the time of we're in now. That's a problem. And I think we need to keep in mind that, and you referred, Jeanette, to the social aspect of it, and I think we need to keep in mind, too, in addition to the social, there's the legal and I think that we're not going to make much progress with the social aspect if we don't attend to the legal first. And, and as I stated earlier, we need the legal minds in this country representing African Americans. We need our lawyers to really teach us, make us aware of how to use the system to our advantage. We've and once we've done that, then we've made a major accomplishment. We can start to start. We can start to correct some of the social uh, confines of living in a, a racist society. But we really need to work at it legally. And I think that that's what's missing. That piece is missing. Mm-hmm. Well, if I mean, you know, you know, the, you know 1982, the the, 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 black, the National Black Black Lawyers Association did come together to provide uh, what they call the Black Leadership Family Plan. And uh, Ozzy Davis was actually the keynote speaker, you know, of that particular piece. But we've had lawyers to try to do this. The problem is that we're not, we don't sustain what we try to step out to do. So I totally agree with you, you know, because the the National Black Lawyers Association did, in fact, try to do these things, and they created, you know, know, a a plan of action. We've had a lot of plan of actions. The problem is, when do we – we don't have to reinvent the wheel to address this, these same right. issues. The reality is we have a lot of things already on the table, and who it is, and we can't depend upon just one entity to do that. You know, so, so the idea is we have a lot of, of knowledgeable people, and sometimes mm-hmm. knowledgeable people are not people who have a degree. They're people who, right. have, who have another knowledge that, you know, that can lead as well. So, so, so again, that's why I said it has to be more holistic and how willing are we to have an open mind about the good, the bad, and the ugly that, that impacts us. And I do focus on black folks because there's no other group that's here in, in this country like I know, I know. We got so much, when we start talking about when we talk about racism, we got so much. I was watching this show on Netflix, and it was called The Rescue. They talked about gays. They talked about white supremacy. They talked about everything you can imagine that was, I was just like, oh, but yet we can't educate people. We can't bring up these topics. It's like, really? You know, and that's the sad thing. Now, I'm looking at something, and it talks about, and it was an education week, and it said that the topic of critical race theory exploded in the public arena in the spring, especially between K through 12, where numerous state legislatures are the bills seeking to banish use in classrooms. In truth, the divides are not nearly as neat as they may seem, and the event last decades and have increased public awareness about the things like housing, segregation, the impact of criminal justice policy in the 1990s as the legacy of enslavement on black Americans. But there is much less consensus on the government's role and should be in righting these past wrongs. Add children and schooling into the mix and the debate becomes especially volatile. 
So it's not about just going, it's like, even with my grandkids, you know, I can't, I do my best to teach them about their culture, but I don't know much about their culture. So the only thing I could do is try to learn about their culture. And some of the things I learned from them of what they learned from their grandparents. You know, but we got to keep it, we, we got to do better. We really got to do better. And not just making people lose their jobs and, and trying to make it seem like they're lying to people. People need, people need to stop lying. They really need to stop lying. But I remember I had a, I remember an accountant told me one time, Jeanette, you pay for what you don't know. And I won now. I'm very well-rounded in a lot of areas, but I know what I need to know when I need to know it. I'm not going to just go around, but, but we do have to do it in a way to where I like we need to have some structure. we got to learn how to fight differently. we got to learn. Like I like what the lady was saying, the educator, about, you know, helping some of these parents. What are some of the other ways, Kahalafa, that we can do to, when it comes to banning this critical race theory, what can we do and let the listeners know what they can do, especially when we start talking about legislation? And what we teach our children. Well, just like the lady said that, you know, uh, you know, like she says, you know, it is about legislation, it's about laws and such that's on the it's on the on the books and such. The reality again is that I know I know that here in the city I, that I'm in, we used to have parent training uh um uh, 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 classes, you know, after, you know, you know, after school in the evenings and such, you know, to educate parents, you know, directly. You know, um, I, you know I'm a member of the Pan-African Association in my city of where I'm at, so I grew up with a lot of this information anyway. And I'm just saying, you know, so, the, so one has to become active and at the same time um, manage um, those folks that they know they have like minds. So and the people that have like minds can be your warriors and your, and your soldiers to help you get the you know the information out to brand you know because we got to get into this whole process and I'm using I have to say that hate to use these these marketing terms but you know there's a branding process and I'm saying and I say say branding not because branding has another connotation which is negative about how we used to be branded obviously mm-hmm. but I'm talking about branding from a you know from from a a a, a promotional standpoint. And so these are the things that we have to do. But, but see, the reality is that we, and actually going back to the individual, we have to be willing, just like you said earlier, someone said, you know, we have to be willing to be students ourselves first. See, we uh-huh. don't know how much we want to be students about all of these, and we're never going to be experts in all these fields, you know, and, and we also have to be aware of our, you know, of the impact in our, in our, of our mindset and our emotions of how we allow these things. And I'll just be talking about, this is a side note. I am a survivor of two beatings and a chokehold. Think I don't have PTSD as a male. And, I, you know, I'm just, so I'm saying, and, and, and we've had groups come together where, where it was all the brothers we met that I had a group of brothers that came together that have been traumatized by the police specifically. That's the law. Then there are people, you know, I, you, know you think about, uh, um, you know, getting brothers to deal with that emotional construct. So, so like the young man was talking earlier, well, the impact is obvious that there's some impact on him that is still resonating. Then get with others. So what you can do, get with other brothers that have some of the similar experiences so you guys, guys can get those things out and at the same time begin to, to ponder over, you know, opportunities that you, can, that you can address these things, not only as individuals, but also, you know, in a small cadre of group. And then that group can, once, and, and as you see these small successes that you celebrate, others will help, will, will join in that process for, for positive change. You know, so, I, so that's part of the process. Our legal people, I, here's an example, and I certainly not ran on anybody's parade, but, you know, we used to have, there used to be a strong legal defense process with the NAACP. They just yes. don't anymore like this. Right. I'm, and I'm not against them. I'm just, I'm just identifying that. You know, I'm thinking about, well, where's the Black Caucus? I have not heard a lot yes. from the Black Caucus at all right now. So, 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 so these are the things that we can question without attacking and saying, okay, well, how can we help you help us do what's got to be done? So mm-hmm. that, how many of us are involved in our local politics to know 
what the planning is in certain neighborhoods or, or what those, those city council people that's represented, how do we, how do we, so we, how do we, we address them? So we've got to be able to do those kinds of things that's in our purview and not say, oh, I'm too right. busy or I've got too much going on. So, that, so the first thing, looking in the mirror, you know, and seeing what we can do within ourselves and then connect ourselves with other like-minded people who are not afraid to take a certain kind of action without jeopardizing their lives or their livelihoods. So that's, that's, that's the basic right there. Jeopardizing their lives or their livelihood. Because I remember growing up in the 70s and the 80s, and my mother used to tell me, you know, I keep you inside because police kill black people. They kill black girls. And I'm thinking, police ain't going to kill me. I'm a straight-A student. I'm, in, I'm class president. I'm this, I'm that. And just like you said, Kahala, it didn't dawn on me because I remember graduating high school, leaving, getting home one morning, early night, I mean, 12 o'clock, I'm hungry. I call my boyfriend, hey, I'm hungry. We're going to get something to eat. We get followed by the police. The man put the gun up to my head, and I'm looking at a gun, at a barrel of a gun with a guy, with a white cop. And I tell my son, I'm like, he got a gun. So he drives, the man starts shooting at us, get out of his car, and it was like I was in a twilight zone. And the whole time, I remember my mother telling me, the police kill folks. The police kill, I'm thinking, they're not going to do that to a woman. They're not. If it wouldn't have been for me hiding in a car, because the car literally ran out of gas, Hiding in the car, in the dark, on the floor, trying not to breathe. When the police officer tried to open the car door, and I was in it because I got tired of running because I don't like to run. The other guys that was in the neighborhood said something, and then the police went shooting at them. I got out the car. I ran to my friend's house. I'm banging on the door trying to get her to open the door. Helicopter's flying on my head. And when the police came to me and said, wanted to know what happened, now, they can run a check. I ain't got no criminal record. I ain't been in no trouble. I'm, you know, all of this. And I looked at the police officer, and I said, that's him. Do you know the police officer told that man, get out this neighborhood, go do this somewhere else? I was like, you know what? It's time for me to go into law enforcement. That made me want to pursue an education in the field where I became. I got my certificate in law enforcement. I did all. Some people told me. They they wouldn't let me be no cop though. <laughs> that man told me. <laughs> I'll never forget. He said when I went to the civil service commission, I requested a hearing. The man told me, Jeanette, you proved that you qualified, but we do not have to hire you. And now I have the ability to do therapy and counseling with individuals. So when we start talking about these critical race theories and the perceptions and people's biases and beliefs. I get to tackle it from a different point of view because I do still get to bring a sense of awareness. Even by doing Blog Talk Radio, I still get to bring a sense of awareness. So we all have to do our part. We can't live in fear. We can't just sweep a lot of stuff up under the rug. We can't just say, oh, babe, don't worry about it. You made it home. No, this needs to stop. It really needs to stop. Yeah, but it's not under the circumstances that we have right now until we start doing things differently as some of the things right. I mentioned and many others, you know, uh, and if we take the plans that people like uh, Marcus Garvey left us, we, we, you know, the, you know, the uh, like I mentioned earlier about the Black National um, um, uh, Lawyers Association, I mean, I, 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 there's, there's a lot of documents that are, that are out here that gave us a blueprint to mm-hmm. apply some of these things. You know the reality is that 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 we have short memories and we we have we we are not we don't have we have not captured and embraced the process of continuity and continuation because we'll go so far and then we'll stop you know or or we'll think that that there that those other people's water is wetter or their ice is colder or their grass is greener and so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll so we will stop supporting ourselves and 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 go do that the dollar does not circulate one time in our community. The sister was talking earlier about education stuff and economics. Well, if we would allow ourselves to let our dollars circulate more than uh-huh. coming in and going, okay, then I, that might make a difference as well. If we would, 
you know, so so I'm saying there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts and pieces, and everybody can't do everything. And people who have an affinity, even if they may not have total expertise, but if they have a commitment to mm-hmm. to to help promote the sense of liberation around housing or or homelessness or you know or education or police brutality or whatever it is that we're dealing with. You know, whatever those folks, you know, that's what we have to do. So then the question, then the question becomes this, and I'll, and I'll be quiet with this. What about the professional associations that we have, black nurses, black social workers, you know, black police officers, black firefighters? What are their mission statements, and how do they coalesce with one another in their mission mm-hmm. statements? Are they, are they are they are they executing? Have they executed their their mission statements as effectively as they want? I would be willing to bet that their mission statements are overlapping overall. Well, there's another way that you can start this process in a different way, but that's a different kind of strategy that has not taken place that is that is and that's that's too easy just to share that information do a summit on you know with all these different uh associate professional associations that have mission statements and and just focus on the mission statements and how you can help one another and then where overlaps that could be your that could be your 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 common your common goal and develop your objectives and and look at your resources and your needs assessment and so on and so forth see this is what people don't understand that we are in a war of survival. There's a genocide yeah. process in place, mm-hmm. and it has been ever since we've been so-called freed from the enslavement. So that's mm-hmm. why. So, so there's so many pieces of this, and this goes much deeper than critical race theory. You know, because mm-hmm. critical race theory to me is a distraction to right. a, mm-hmm. the reality. That's just me. Exactly. That, exactly. This whole exactly. thing on the because we got less than a minute left. But I wanted to okay, talk I'm to you. Okay, I'm done. No, you're not done. You're not done. Because you said it's a distraction. I want to talk about the myths and the facts. So I'm going to have you start with the myth. What is critical theory not, Kahalafa, so that those that never heard of it, so that that is not what it is. So let's talk about what it is not. I'll just say to, to me, I, I'm not an expert in this area, but I'll just say it is not the BS that's being promoted. Just, there you go. That's one. It is not the BS that's being promoted. That's what it's not. It's not Mr. <laughs> embarrassment or any particular way because anybody got time to be embarrassing nobody. What else is yeah. it not? That's what I'm, you know, what, what is it not? I've already, yeah. I, I'm just saying there's no. You know, critical race theory is is not something that's being taught in the public schools. And, you know, that's the first thing I'm going to identify. Critical race theory, you know, is important for us. And I said, if you think about race and its construct, that's what's important. So let's understand the applications. So so it's not addressing the applications of what it's really designed to do. So 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 I think that that's one thing, and I and I believe that there's there's so many different things, but I know you have don't have a lot of time, but it's not it's not what is um, being promoted to be at this time by the by others in power. It's not so that at all. So let's say now now I'm going to ask you the educator, the female lady. Where do you see the benefits of critical race theory in the educational system? Because we already all of us said what it's not. situation because they the people who are getting the most attention regarding this field are have totally totally confused the issue so i would answer that question by saying it is not um th- that it basically centers upon looking at social and political issues and removing obstacles that keep it being equal involving equality Okay, cousin, what would you want the listeners to know that are conflicted, confused, and never heard of this theory, and especially based on, because we can't make everything about emotional, emotions, because we got to get to the facts and the benefits, the cons, the pros and the cons. What do you want the listeners to know in regards to critical race theory? If you have a, a child, a niece, a nephew, cousin, whatever, 
Well, I would, I would, I would say this. I know kind of Lisa Rice who came out with a statement that we didn't want to make uh, white kids feel bad about um, <laughs> who they are and what they do, but um, white people's feelings can't uh, override the way black people have to live. Exactly. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not to a point where that's the goal to make these kids feel bad because it's certainly not the goal. The goal is for the kids to understand the system and why it is this way and why you see people struggling the way they do and they don't necessarily see themselves struggling the way they do, right? Mm-hmm. So critical race theory just brings out about an education and an empathy from people that have benefited from the system that has um, uh, oppressed us. Right. So that's not our goal is to uh, make white children feel bad because I'm certainly not a racist. Um, I, you know, I work at Job Corps and I deal with students of all different types of colors and, and, and backgrounds and they're all struggling. So that's not where I'm coming from. But the point is in critical race theory is just to make people understand why people are where they are and how we're going to get to a different place. Right. I like that. And it's mm-hmm. interesting how I had never heard of critical race theory, but when I brought it to my daughter's attention, she knew a lot about it. And just because I didn't know, don't mean that my daughter didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I guess because the field that my daughter works in, and she's educated, she went to college, she, you know, and I'm glad that she's able to share this information with my grandson because when we start talking about race, and I, I know that I'm very well acclimated in a lot of different things, but I'm still learning myself, and I'm still learning from people. So that was the way I perceived it as, and, and I've taken diversity courses and got my training certificate in diversity, and people sometimes they want to keep us divided. They want to keep mm-hmm. us separated. And I like the way you guys put it, it's gaining an understanding. I acknowledge it. I understand. I don't need your pity. I don't need your surprise for me appreciate the time and effort that you put into this and especially it just requires much more uh you know and and i just think this is just a um this is a continuation of what we've dealt with over the past several centuries it's just uh it's more modernized and, and become more sophisticated but the issue itself in terms of teaching history i thought you were really talking about critical race theory you're just talking about the history of people that have been impacted politically uh socially educationally health-wise you know you're, that's what you're talking about and the choices that people have made to institute those kinds of practices this is not so the information is not new at all that's Reality is for me that it's not new. We don't we we don't need to act like that is that this is new and re, and respond to it and really because it's not. Go back, get your history, um, do the research for yourself if nobody else gonna. And don't depend on everybody on somebody else to provide you the information. You're gonna have to you know, have the onus on yourself to start doing some research and recognizing the things that are important to you and start moving forward on that. On that basis. One, the longest journey starts with one single step. Right. Right. What do you want the listeners to take from this, ma'am, in regards to um, talking about I, I want listeners to understand that you can't go make your form your opinions based on what you see on television. You Ooh, need to be able to research and, and, and look at information for yourself because it's biased and you need to have a thorough understanding so you know what actions you need to take. So use the tools that are accessible. I like that. Cedric Cousin, what do you want the listeners to know before we end the show today? Um, well, I think I, I, I kind of stated it before, but, um, yeah, I, like I understand these people are really boots on the ground, hands on. Um, I try to do it through my books. I try to do it through uh, entertainment in terms of making an impact an individual impact in, um, on, on students because, um, you know, I write from a perspective that's, you know, I'm a little bit older than them and I have students. So um, I just try to impact, make an impact in that way. Just do what you can, educate yourself, like the sister said, um, about critical race theory so you can speak intelligently about it and when people debate you on the topic that you actually have the right answers 
and you're not just flying by by what Jeanette said or I said or like really just do your homework. Please provide Jeanette with the link so that I can get your books. What did you say? Oh, I'm sorry. I said I need to get his link so that I can get his books. Okay, Cedric, tell me about your book. Oh, I just oh, make sure you send me the link. Oh, you can just yeah, 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 yeah. We'll send you a link. It's it's just on Amazon. I got a couple on Amazon. Uh, one's entitled "The Good Wolf." You can look at it. There's a bunch of reviews. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's just "The Good Wolf" by Cedric Boyd. And uh, Good Wolf. The Good Wolf. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank Boyd. you. And I'll wait you to the other one. Uh-huh. You know, and I want to say this. We have to learn how to empower individuals. You know, I believe in even as a therapist to meet a person where they are to help them to get to where they want to go. And when I say where they want to go, I can't push them where I may want them to go based on their race, their educational level, their their color, their creed. And because I know that all of this compounds and it adds a lot to it. And even when we start talking about the criminal justice system, politics, educational system, and people say the system is broken. And things are being orchestrated and things are turning around and changing in certain ways, but then yet we got those individuals that don't want people to have power, don't want people to have a seat at the table. But we're now kicking indoors. We're like, uh-uh, no, you are not going to just treat me this kind of way no more. I refuse to sit silent. How, you gonna, how dare you? You know, and that's my thing. How dare you? People are not taking this anymore. So, if you need some help, if you need some support, if you feel that you're being disenfranchised, if you feel that you're being discriminated against or you're being mistreated, reach out and get some help. But you've got to learn how to fight differently. You know, right. you can't just use and go out there and want to shoot people and kill people and do it. No, no, that's not going to work. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, when you talk about the EEOC, a lot of people don't even know what that means. We start talking about the ACLU, and, and some of those organizations are so burnt out and so tired. Like you said, they are ambulance chasers when they're trying to mm-hmm. catch all these big stories. But there's a lot of little stories that need to be told, too, because they're not little, but it does have an impact on individuals. And I'm glad that a lot of this stuff is coming out now because it's bringing a sense of awareness. We need to be aware. We need to pay attention. Okay. Well, thank you for yes. joining me here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I appreciate you guys for your contribution to the show, and um, we need to do more talking. We need to not only talking, we need to do more doing is what we need to do. So, But I know we can only do so much. I get that part. But let's continue to empower. Let's continue to educate. Let's continue to make sure that there's resources available, and let's try to lead people in the right direction. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me here at Present Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. Again, my name is Jeanette Abney. If you have any questions, if you want to know information about Cedric Boyd, you can contact me. I'll get you the information. Cedric, send me the link so I can send it to her. And thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.